Well, today we're bending a new series in the parables. Really, it's the stories of Jesus. So, if you've ever wondered how to understand the stories of Jesus better, then this uh, series is for you. And, you know, if you just like a good story, this series is for you. You know, Jesus was the greatest storyteller to ever live. (laughs) And a lot of the idioms and ideas that he came up with are still in our culture today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of the persistent widow, but we're also going to look at some principles for how to interpret or how to understand the parables. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 18, and we'll be looking at the first eight verses of Luke chapter 18 in the parable of the persistent widow. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, and the words will be on the screen for those of you who want to see it. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose hope. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Stories are remarkable. They're the rhythm of life, the way we communicate with each other. Just think about how you would describe the most important events in your life. Meeting your wife, the birth of your children, maybe even meeting a best friend for the first time. You wouldn't just say, and then it happened. You would tell a story, right? And stories communicate value and meaning. Through our stories that we tell, we talk about the emotional impact, the physical impact, and even our attitudes about the future. You know, Our entire lives are impacted by the stories we tell ourselves and others. Stories touch nearly every aspect of our lives in one form of another. And I love a good story. When it builds just right to a crescendo, with, hey, with just enough details but not too many details, and the payoff is worth it, that's a good story. And the stories of Jesus' day are etched in the cultural landscape of that time. They're told with a specific purpose in mind. An emotional and practical response is asked of his audience. In the parables, Jesus told 67 different stories in the Gospels. In fact, most of Jesus' teaching comes from stories. So it's important for us to understand how to interpret them. And we have to be careful not to say that Jesus' words mean something they don't. And we're not left guessing at the meaning. A lot of times through the language and culture of his day, or even the characters of his story, we're given clues to what the story means. Sometimes he even tells us what they mean, and we don't have to guess. But as we look over parables in the next several weeks, we're going to use three key factors to interpret them. Number one, Jesus' setting. Number two, the Bible's context. And number three, the call to respond. When I say Jesus' setting, what I really mean is the historical, social, and religious context of his day. It informs the stories he's telling us, and we need to understand aspects of it in order to connect the truth. Now, if I told you that I am a great basketball player and I scored 50 points yesterday in a game, before you laughed, you might ask, what? Now listen, 
if I told you it was against five-year-olds and that we lowered the goal and I had 30 dunks, you might believe me, right? Right, you might believe me. You see, it's those kind of details that impact the story. Now, I might not tell you those details, but as I tell the story, you should be able to figure them out based on context because I don't look like I can dunk, and I can't. Second is the Bible's context. In other words, what just happened right before and right after the story that Jesus is telling us? So one way to understand this is to look at a letter. Now, if you know my wife, Anna, and you know that I love her, you know I love writing letters to my wife, right? Now, if you see that I wrote in a letter, I love you, Anna, you're not really going to know what that means. Now, here's what I mean. It might mean, I'm really sorry I did that, thought that, or thought about doing that. I don't know. So it might be an apology letter, right? It, it might say, happy birthday. It might say, happy anniversary. It might say, Merry Christmas. But what I say before and after I say I love you shows what that letter is really about. And you need to know and understand those things in order to interpret me saying I love Anna. The last thing is that call to respond. You see, in most parables, there's a turning point. Uh, what Al Mohler calls the grenade drop moment, where everything changes after this happens in the story. And usually, Jesus is calling his audience to respond right after or in the midst of that grenade being dropped. And he's calling for people to respond to him personally and to his mission in the world. Sometimes it's about the kingdom of God, but really it's all about the Lord Jesus. Like in Goldilocks and the Three Bears, the turning point moment is not when she sits down and eats that first, second, and third bowl of porridge. It's not when she tries Mama Bear, Papa Bear, and Baby Bear's bed. No, the turning point moment is when the bears come home and realize somebody's been messing with their stuff. When they see her in that bed, that's the turning point moment. And we learn the moral of the story that we're trying to teach our children to respect people's possessions and personal space. Because believe me, they need to be taught that. <laughs> that doesn't come natural to our kids. We have to teach them that. And in the same way, in our story today, that grenade drop moment in the parable is when Jesus says that the evil judge grants the widow justice. And the call to respond is at the end when he says, but will the Son of Man find his people faithful? Earl Carson was born with a battle with his body. His, his body was painfully twisted by illness and disease. He had cerebral palsy. He was five years old before he could do more than one or two steps in a row. And he was mercilessly made fun of as a kid growing up. He had illness. He had embarrassment. And he took all those feelings about himself and he channeled them into his work. And he got into Princeton University. And at Princeton, he was one of the top students in his class. And he got into Yale Medical School. Dr. Earl is one of the foremost experts in the world on cerebral palsy because he suffered with it and studied through it. You might ask yourself, how do I have that kind of persistence in my own life? How do I get my faith to keep going when I want to give up? The first thing you do is you're persistent. The second thing is that you listen to God's word. And the third is that you trust him. Look at that first verse, y'all. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. To be persistent is to continue firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. To be, percent, excuse me, to be persistent is to be relentless 
It's to be tenacious. It's to be resolute, diligent, and unrelenting. It means to not give up, to keep going, to push through, and to make it to the other side. And every single one of us has bad days and needs to learn persistence in different areas of our life, whether it's diet, exercise, or discipline. But Christians especially have to learn that because we've got to persist in our faith. My friend Bart Taylor was disabled and still is. He had had seven or eight surgeries on his legs before he was 10 years old. And to this day, he can't really walk straight with his legs being the condition that they are. And every day, Bart would get up, fall out of bed, and do 100 push-ups. You might say, why would he do 100 push-ups? Because Bart knew that he was probably going to fall 20, 25 times that day. However many times you think you want to be walking along and see your friend fall beside you, it was probably two or three times that. I'd be walking along and talking to Bart, and his shoes would get caught on something, or his pants legs would trip him up, and he would just fall flat on his face. And then you say, hey man, can I help you up? And he'd say, nope, push up. And he'd be up before you could even help him half the time. Because he was persistent. That's a picture of persistence. He trained in order to have his body ready in the same way that Christians have to train to have their minds, their souls, and their bodies ready to respond to adversity. And prayer is what helps us not give up. That first verse, it says, always pray. You know, does that mean to pray when I don't want to pray? Yes. Does that mean pray when I'm tired? Yes. When I'm unhappy? Yes. When I'm satisfied with my life? Yes. When I'm hopeless, helpless, sad? Yes. Do not lose heart is the second thing he says. He says, don't give up. Don't take the lack of God's movement or not an answer to prayers personally. God wants us to keep going and not give up. Right before this story, Jesus gives a prophecy about what's going to happen to Jerusalem in the end days and also some prophecies about the end of time. And he said, there's going to come a time where it's difficult to live out your faith. He says, there's going to be a come a time when your friends or your family members are going to fall away from the faith. A time when only some people seem to persist in the faith. A time when, when people are killed for their faith. A time when people are not surviving very long in their faith because they have to give their lives for their faith. He told him this really heavy prophecy. And then he says, I want to tell you a story about not giving up. You think those two things are connected? Yeah, they are. They really, really are. Roy Hutton was an active member of First Christian in Des Moines, Iowa. Now, he's a butcher by trade. But one day in his prayer life, God began to burden him for the lost, for people that had been unchurched or didn't know the Lord. And so he came to the pastor and the staff members of his church, and he asked for books and, and resources, and he began to study on methods of, of evangelism. And he started to change his work day so that he could spend time every day first praying for the lost, and then he began to share his faith with other people. <laughs> and, and, and through his efforts, he set up prayer ministries in his church. He set up people to have lists of folks to share the faith with in their church. And through his direct intervention, 600 people were added to that church in three years. That is a level of persistence that a lot of us can never approach. Because we say 600 converts, that's amazing. But imagine how many people told him no in that process. And he kept going. That's persistence. That's work ethic. And his efforts changed his church forever. The Polish pianist Jan Paderatsky once played the piano for the Queen of England. 
And she said, Mr. Pederowski, you're a genius. And he said, that may be, Your Majesty. But before I was a genius, I practiced. <laughs> you know, he was known for his work ethic at practicing. Practice, 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 practice. He put a work schedule into all the success he achieved. He pointed to the idea of persistence. But how do you make your faith last when you want to give up? Well, we persist in our faith, but we also got to listen to God's word. Look at verses 2 through 5 of our story. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow at that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Listen. If you want to learn how to persist in your faith, you have got to study the Word of God. This day and age, we have no excuses, y'all. I have, I have apps on my phone when I don't feel like reading the Bible that will read the Bible to me. You know, There's YouTube channels where people will read the Bible through and then explain what they think it might mean. Right? There's podcasts, there's internet, there's TV. We have versions of the Bible in so many different translations, we get into arguments about it. There's no excuse that if you want your faith to survive, you've got to know the testimonies of God that's recorded in the Scriptures. I mean, to live a life of faith, we have to know how to pray, how to encourage others, how to confess our sins. And the way we learn that is from studying God's Word. I've got to tell you, I'm preaching right now, y'all, but you can listen to all the sermons in the world and it will not substitute for knowing God's Word. I don't care if you read the Bible for five minutes in the morning or at night. A little bit is better than nothing. And there's no better source of information about the faith than God's Word. You know, when I want to know something, I take out my cell phone and I Google it. Right? Is that what you do? When I want to know something, I Google it. When I have a question about ministry, I ask other pastors. I ask Jason, or I ask Jason, it's another guy, or I ask Ben. I ask a couple of my different friends, people that I've known for years, about how they respond. If I want to know about technology or current events, I ask somebody who's under 18, but usually older than 14. That's a sweet spot. You know, if you want to know how to set up your phone, that's who you go to. You know, Our children and our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our cousins, they're all great sources of information for that kind of stuff. You know, If I have a tax question, I ask my dad, who's an accountant, or my wife, who's smart at that stuff. You know, if I want to know about the latest in the Oculus video gaming, I ask Peyton because he's got one. You know, and who do I ask about faith? Do I ask myself? Do I ask Google? Do I ask YouTube? Do I go to the top viewed verses? No, just don't go to the top viewed verses. Open your Bible and begin to read and try. The person to go through for faith is easy. It's God himself. Jesus begins this story by saying, in a certain city. You know, we could translate that once upon a time. He starts his story off. He says, once upon a time, there was a judge who was a jerk. He didn't listen to people. He didn't care about God, and he didn't care about his word. He didn't care about the law. And people in his town, Steve, they didn't have police officers back then. 
So if somebody took advantage of you, stole from you, or attacked you, or harmed you in any way, you had to go to a judge and beg for justice. And so that's what happens in the story. And if you're wealthy enough to hire a lawyer, you can probably get justice. But if you have to just go beg as a regular person to the judge, you're probably out of luck. And there was a widow in a city who kept coming to see the judge over and over again. Every day, she would come and say, give me justice. Now, widows in those days were very vulnerable people. Some of them, from wealthy families, had inherited land and goods, and some didn't. Some had father-in-laws who would protect and watch over them, as the law said. And some had father-in-laws that ignored them and pretended they didn't exist. But they were a vulnerable class of people. Cynthia Denise Brown was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of John Allen. She was only 14 years old at the time of the murder. She was born to a family that was addicted to cocaine, and she was a fetal alcohol syndrome child. She ran away from home as soon as she could and got into trouble with juvenile justice at an early age. She was a runaway who was taken advantage of by men and sold into a life of prostitution. And one day one of her clients threatened to kill her, and she responded by defending herself. She was sentenced to a life in prison without the possibility of parole until 2057 for something she did when she was 14. Well, I don't know if you all remember, but a few years back on social media, her story caught fire. And on August 7, 2019, she was freed after serving 15 years in prison. You see, even in the United States today, young women can still be victimized and taken advantage of and are vulnerable Sometimes we read in the, in the Word of God that widows are vulnerable and we think, oh, that's terrible. But young unmarried women are still taken advantage of today. They're objectified. They're lowered. And they're vulnerable. So a vulnerable woman comes to see a judge. And he says, who cares about her? But something changed between him saying, who cares about her and I guess I'll give her justice. He goes, even though I don't care about her, even though I don't care about justice, this lady will not leave me alone. So because this lady will not stop pestering me, wearing me down with her unending pleas, I'm going to see that she gets justice. It's almost like we're given a window into the life of that judge. He doesn't care about anyone else, but eventually he just gets worn down. Mommy, 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 mommy. Daddy, 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 daddy. Listen, I'm not just talking about what happened this morning at about 8.30. That, for us that have children, is part of our life. They beg us for stuff, and they slowly get louder and louder and louder. Uh, we could quote this verse to them and say that they are continually coming or pestering. And that's what the widow did. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. She came day after day after day and said, Judge, 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 asking for justice, wearing him down. In the 12th century in Bavaria, there was a custom. Uh, now, Bavaria is basically Munich, for those of you who've been to Europe. And the royal family had this custom where they get together in the cathedral 
and they would have a giant worship service where the entire city was invited. And they would take the young man who was the next in line to be king, and they would hand him a towel and a silver basin. And he would come down in front here with his towel and his basin. And the 12 poorest people in the city would come forward. And he would wash their feet. And he would speak kindly to them. Now you could be a person who experienced injustice for your entire life. Where you have been trying to get some help. And one day you got chosen as one of the hardest up people in the city. And you have the ear of the prince. That's what happens in our story. Have you ever asked God to move in an unlikely way? Have you ever begged God to intervene on your behalf in an unjust situation? And you ask yourself, how do I not give up on my faith as I'm coming day after day after day asking God to do something different in my life? You persist in your faith and you listen to His Word and ultimately you must learn to trust Him. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you. He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? You see, sometimes the process of trusting in God is easier said than done. We wonder how He's moving and directing and sustaining our lives. And even if by some miracle we come through our adolescence and our early adulthood without being stained by a major trauma... Now we have our own kids to worry about. And then if we get through that, we have our grandkids and our cousins and our nieces and our nephews and our uncles and our grandfathers. It's not enough that we worry that God would look over us, uh, that we can trust Him, but we're worried about everybody else in the world that we care about. There was a little boy one day and he was climbing in a tree. It was an apple tree. And he'd gotten pretty high up there. And he took a step to a branch and he fell. Now, luckily, he grabbed hold of the next branch of the tree, and uh, he realized that he was climbing a rotten apple tree. And he didn't realize it until he got near the top because the branches had supported him in so far. And he looked down, and he saw that his dad was down there, and his dad hollered up to him. He said, son, let go. I'll catch you. And the little boy said, daddy, you expect me to let go of this branch and trust that you're going to catch me? Now, y'all little kids, you know what I'm about to say is true. You going to catch me? Yes. 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 Okay, Daddy, I'm coming. And he falls out of the tree and bam! The Daddy caught him and set him down and the boy ran off to climb another tree. Do you trust God like that little boy trusted the Father? See, God doesn't tell us that our lives are going to be without hardship, difficulty, or tragedy in our lives. But when we trust in the Father, what it means is that when we find ourselves in places of hurt and uncertainty, that we find security, hope, and help in Him. The Pinellas County Sheriff's Department of Florida purchased a rug with their slogan, In God We Trust, 
with the big old emblem from the sheriff's department to go right in the center of the lobby as you walk in. Steve, you know what I'm talking about. It had to go through a lot of departments to get signed off on. And somehow, nobody in the sheriff's department and nobody at this company realized that they misspelled God. Somebody was dyslexic. And they put dog. So this $500 reg arrives, and they lay it all out. And in bold, beautiful letters, it says, In dog we trust. Well, before they got in trouble with the taxpayers, they auctioned it off to the highest bidder, using it for charity proceeds. And listen, y'all, God knows that I've made my share of typos in my life, okay? I've written papers. There's typos in this sermon, okay? There's typos in the bulletin that are my fault. There's typos in the newsletter that are my fault, right? If there's a typo somewhere, it's probably my fault, you know? I'm dyslexic, and I miss stuff really easy. And, you know, all of us can say that we make mistakes typing sometimes, but listen, it's one thing for us to misspell, but it's a completely different thing for us to mistrust. And some people say that they'd rather trust in their health in their wealth and in themselves, but each of these things eventually fade. No, we need to make a decision to trust in Almighty God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Jesus says to the people, listen to what the unrighteous judge said, that if they keep asking him over and over again, that he's going to get sick and tired of hearing about it, and that even though he could care less about them, He's going to give them what they want to get them to stop. Now, Jesus is pointing to what his story is about today. But luckily, he already told us in verse 1 what the story is real about. That's about not losing faith and not giving up and truly hoping to pray and pray and pray. Uh, the, the commercial begins and there's a little girl. Maybe you've seen it. There's a little girl and she's standing. And it's a big field. And there's a rhinoceros on the other side of the field, right? An African rhinoceros. And he runs at her. And it pauses for just a second, and, and on the screen it says, trust is not being afraid. And you go, what is going to happen to this little girl? I know it's CG, but I don't like to see this kind of thing on TV, right? And he stops like an inch from her, and she pets him like a puppy on the horn. And then the words come up, even when you're vulnerable. This story is about trust and not giving up. And then he says, will God not give justice to his people who pray to him day and night. This is something that God really hit me with this week, y'all. That if you have enough faith when you pray, do you have enough faith when you wait on that answer to prayer? And then we, we begin to wonder why he's not doing it. Why he's not doing what we asked him to do. I mean, have you ever thought about it? We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we wonder what in the world is God doing? Maybe he says no, or maybe it doesn't happen fast enough, but God is always moving. I mean, who else are we going to trust to fix it? Are we going to trust in ourselves? The Bible says that our heart is deceitful above all things and wicked, and that we have a bent towards selfishness from the time we are born. Yeah, we do. But what do we do with that concept that he ends with? God will give you justice speedily. Okay, that makes sense. In the end, he wants us to be faithful. But how can I be faithful when it doesn't seem like he's being faithful? And how in the world can I believe that he's coming speedily when I've prayed for a lot of stuff and I haven't seen a speedy answer? Have you? Maybe I'm the only one. Anybody else waiting for a speedy answer? He says right here in his word that it's speedy. 
You see, in the cosmic sense, we're just a blip on the radar. We live these fairly short lives of 70, 80, 90 years, and then we're gone. Human beings live on the earth for a teeny tiny part of all history. Hey, whether you think it's 3.8 billion years or you think it's 10,000 years, we've been here almost no time. We're all just specks of dust on the earth here for a very short time. And that means when I wait five years, 10 years, 15 or 20 years for God to answer my prayers in his world, that's a blink of an eye. You see, he's moving speedily according to his timetable. For a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And he's asking, will you wait on me to answer your prayers? Will you trust in my timetable instead of your own? See, God wants to know whether we have enough faith to trust in him or if we're going to trust in ourselves. And that's what this parable is really all about. It's about trust of God. Trust in His motives, trust in His plan, trust in His goodness, in His mercy, in His grace, in His intentionality. Because when He comes, He wants to know whether He will find that we have held on to our faith. Have we finished the race? Have we fought the good fight? Have we run with endurance, with our eyes on the prize of Jesus? But how do I make my faith last when I'm going to give up? We persist in our faith. We listen to God's word and we trust him. You see, one night a judge was coming home from work and a lady was in his driveway. And she said, Judge, they're trying to evict me from my house and I've done nothing wrong. The, 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 the landowner wants to get rid of me to sell it to make more money. Without even saying anything, he slammed the door in her face and left. Next morning he goes to his favorite coffee shop, gets a big old tall cappuccino, warm head of foam, puts his favorite kind of sugar in there, sweeteners. And he's just having that first sip. When all of a sudden that woman walks in and she says, Judge, I really need your help. Frustrated, he knows he's not supposed to talk to people in public about their cases. He gets in his car, he doesn't say anything, and he angrily drives to work where she shows up and begs to get put on the docket. Day after day after day, the cycle repeats itself as he goes home and he sees her. He tries to go into the community to buy groceries, to go to his favorite restaurant, to go get a cup of coffee. She is everywhere. And just as he's considering whether to fill out a restraining order against this woman who will not leave him alone, he remembers that there's somebody he could give the case to Pro bono. So he contacts a lawyer friend of his and says, listen, even though I don't care about this lady, you got to do this to get her off my case. Listen, y'all. If an uncaring, bitter, burned-out judge eventually sees justice, how much more will God's people find it? But how do I apply this message? First... It's like the first word here, and I'm not being deep. Always pray. <laughs> Always pray. This is a big one, and it's one of the main points of the entire story. We're to pray when we feel like it. We're to pray when we don't. We're to pray when we're in need, and we're to pray when we're not. If you ask me how to do this, I'll tell you it's really simple. Get up in the morning and thank God for another day. Get down at night and thank Him He brought you through another day. You know, pray for your wife and your children. Pray for your parents and your grandparents. Pray for yourself. Pray for the young. Pray for old. Pray for everybody in between. Pray 
for the person who needs wisdom to make good choices, right? Pray for the one who's trying to work on their health. Pray for somebody who really needs a vacation, but their time is not yet there. Make sure that you embrace a life of prayer. That's what Jesus is saying. Pray to God. Listen, stories can have too much detail, amen? Stories can be too long, amen? Listen to me. Your prayer cannot have too much detail. Your prayer cannot be too long. It cannot be too short. It cannot be too messy. It cannot be too honest. And it cannot be too real. Maybe you're like the widow who's coming to God today. And you say, Lord, day after day after day, I'm still not seeing an answer to my prayers. And I want you to come forward and pray with me. Because if there's one thing I've learned in this life, it's that we're not meant to live it alone. Let somebody help you. Second, don't give up. Keep going. Hold fast to hope. Listen, God wants us to know that life is not always easy. That there will be places as we live our life that feel like they are worn out, torn up, and worn out to be thrown in the garbage. Places where the carpet is worn through and we need to totally do a renovation and replace it. But it's your life and you don't have the money for it, y'all. And God wants to say, don't give up. Don't give up. Sometimes basic living is just surviving. Don't give up. Don't give up on your faith. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your Lord. You know, we're seeing but for a small moment in our lives. Morning is in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Do not. Do not. Do not. Do not give up. Because relief may be just around the corner. Because your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Your hope is not built on your circumstances. It's not built on your intelligence or your goodness or your grace, but on His. And there are times in life when the Holy Spirit carries us through hard seasons. There's times when other Christians help us persevere when we want to give up. And sometimes we're right at the precipice of seeing God's plan revealed for healing and seeing Him move in a mighty way. We cannot give up. Y'all got to trust him. That's number three. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, Josh, how in the world am I supposed to trust him when I pray prayers and he doesn't answer the way I want him to? You say, I've done the right thing, and I've not seen the result that I was looking for. And you say, I've given God chance after chance after chance to do what I want him to do, and I don't see what I want realized in my life. And I've got to tell you this morning that you need to trust God beyond yourself. We have this wrong idea in our society today. This falsehood about living our lives. This idea that we are arbiters of the truth. That we are the ones who know what we need most more than anyone else. And I'm here to remind you that that's just not true. It's just not true. We need to trust God because He is more trustworthy than we are. We need to trust God because He knows better than we do. And we need to trust God because He has proven Himself faithful. Every single time that God shows up and brings us peace when we pray for peace, that's God demonstrating He's trustworthy. Every time we pray for His presence to be in our congregation and it's here, that's God proving His worth. Every time another Christian encourages us at the moment we need it, that's God proving His worth. We cannot ignore the way He moves in our lives because we're not seeing Him do one or two things. Maybe you're listening this morning and you're saying, Josh, I prayed for years and I don't see God answering. Maybe you need to come forward and pray with me 
that you not give up. Maybe you're scared about a health concern or a family member. Maybe a friend or a coworker. Maybe you are burdened for a person. You're hopeful and you're waiting, but you're also discouraged because you want to see God move and you haven't. Stop carrying that burden by yourself. You need help. Listen, I need y'all to pray for stuff of mine. Don't think you're better than that. Ain't none of us better than that. Come forward and let somebody pray for you. Just make a decision in your own heart. I don't care if my grandmama, my cousin, or my uncle or my aunt sees me come pray with Josh, but I need to go pray. That's between you and God, y'all. The main point of Jesus' story is that we should never give up and that we should stop praying no matter what. And that is the decision to trust him instead of us. So you're struggling with any of these areas, I invite you to come forward and pray with me. Listen, it's not because I am some kind of special person, some kind of special class that can pray a prayer that's different. It's you making a decision in your heart this morning that says, I've tried it on my own and I need help. Let me tell you something. God hates arrogance and loves humility. You make a humble step forward to ask for help and God will answer that prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this service this morning and the way that you've moved through our stories and our children and our Lord's Supper. And God, I just pray for those in this church this morning who want to give up. Maybe it's a health concern or a relationship problem. Maybe it's a fear of failure. Maybe it's being too hard on themselves. But whatever it is, Holy Spirit, I... I ask that you would meet their need this morning. God, if anybody needs to come out and say, I can't do this alone and I want help, have them come forward. Have them pray with me. Have them pray with someone, Lord, that they can be reminded that they are not alone and that you brought them here. From all points in history, God, before the foundation of the world, you knew who would sit in this room today when I said, if you need help, come that we can help you. And that's not a mistake. If you're here this morning and you hear this message, I want you to receive in your heart His mercy and His strength to endure through what you're enduring. That you will not give up. And that though you don't know how, God will see you through it to the other side. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As our musicians come forward, please stand. I'll be waiting here at the front for you if you want to pray.
to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for just the opportunity we have to go straight to you, Lord. We don't have to go through anyone else. We can go and we can, uh, through our faith, we can pray to you. You will answer us. You will give us um, relief that we need, Lord. From the beginning of time, you made it possible for us to seek you. And Lord, help us to have the faith to be persistent in our prayer and our seeking after you. In your name we pray. Amen.